Chocolate has been uniting people in shared experiences of love, romance, friendship, pleasure, affection, and joy for centuries. Many of our holidays, celebrations, and unions revolve around one reliable gift, chocolate. Chocolate is treasured across cultures worldwide, transcending mere confectionery to become a symbol of indulgence, celebration, and comfort. Dating back to Mesoamerica, where it was revered as a divine gift, to European aristocracy, to the everyday pleasures found in a simple chocolate bar, its versatility, flavor profile, and universal value have all had a hand in shaping diverse cuisines. There is no doubt chocolate is culturally significant, but how can we navigate the world of sweets in our Western food landscape? Where and how does it fit in a healthy diet? And why can't we stop eating it? Chocolate gets a bad rap, but I want to dish about it. D-I-E-T-I-S, ate a fun podcast with me. That's Lucy, L-U-C-I-E. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Dietish for episode two, You're My Chocolate Valentine. My name is Lucy, and I'm your host. And today I just wanted to dive in and talk about something fun and lighthearted because my main feedback from my own mother for the last episode was that it was too, quote, dark. Um, So we're going to talk about something completely different this time, um, and that is chocolate. I guess I'll preface this episode by saying that this was a gift of an episode to script because I know alarmingly a lot about chocolate because back in my second year of university, I had to write a 10-page paper on chocolate production and history and um, cultural significance, and so not much research was required for this episode. It is very interesting, though, so let's dive right into the history of chocolate. So the discovery of chocolate dates back to Mesoamerica, where they believed that it was a divine gift sent from God to Earth. And they took the chocolate and they combined it with chili peppers or cornmeal or other flavors to produce this like a bitter drink, like think coffee. Um, And it was believed to cure illnesses and give you energy. And so they actually used it as currency and reserved it for royalty and only the wealthiest members of society. Does that sound familiar? (laughs) And then in the 17th century, It started becoming more popular in Europe, and they started sweetening it with cane sugar and honey. The 19th century was chock full of discoveries. So this guy, I'm going to butcher his name, but it's like Conrad, but spelled like Dutch. Um, Conrad Johannes van Houten discovered that he could separate the cocoa butter from like the chocolate solid to make cocoa powder. And then Joseph Fry discovered that he could add the cocoa butter back into the chocolate to make it moldable. And Daniel Peter created milk chocolate by adding powdered milk to chocolate. By the 20th century, chocolate was a popular treat for all people, and it was no longer intended exclusively for the wealthy. Nowadays, chocolate is produced predominantly in the Ivory Coast, um, but it can be grown anywhere in like an equatorial climate. Um, And 
I guess the last point that I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up is that chocolate production has become so rampant that human rights of the workers on the farms, uh, some of which are children, are being violated. And so there are issues with both social and environmental sustainability of chocolate production. So I can tell that you are just all on the edge of your seats waiting to learn about the long and tedious process of making chocolate. Um, I was being sarcastic, but I'm going to tell you about it anyways, because this paper is living on my computer rent-free. Um, so I need to share it with someone. So here are the steps from bean to bar. First, we grow the cocoa beans for six months, and it has to be in an equatorial climate, so very, very hot. <laughs> they are harvested with their pulp still on, and then they're fermented with that pulp for like between five days and a week um, at temperatures of up to like 50 degrees Celsius. Um, and then after they are fermented, they are dried out in the sun for six days. So already we're looking at six months and then a week and then another week. <laughs> then they collect them from being sun-dried and they do like a quality check and they ship them off to the cocoa factories where they are then sorted and cleaned and roasted. After they're roasted, they take the shells off um, and then you're, you have cocoa nibs. The cocoa nibs are alkalized um, and milled and then we get this cocoa gold which is called cocoa liquor or chocolate liquor or cocoa mass they all are synonymous this is the basic framework of chocolate so they take it's like all of the stuff mixed together it's like if you imagine mixing cocoa powder with cocoa butter and you have like this kind of liquidy um well, chocolate gold. Um, and so from here, this is like the base of all chocolate. So they can either make the chocolate from here. So add in like the milk or the cocoa butter or whatever, depending on their chocolate recipe. And then they go through a series of steps and they end up with a chocolate bar, which they distribute to retail outlets. Or they can take this cocoa liquor and they can further process it. Um, so they can basically press it to extract um, what they call a press cake. And then that's pulverized into what we know as cocoa powder. And then the other byproduct of pressing it is cocoa butter. And then they can take that cocoa butter and they add it back into chocolate bars. But I guess the main thing that I want you to take away is that the main ingredient of chocolate is cocoa liquor, and that's going to come in later. So we talked about the history and the production, and we kind of set the stage. So now I want to transition into modern day and what chocolate looks like now. So the annual global consumption of chocolate in 2022 was roughly, drumroll please, 7.5 million tons. In 2023, the global chocolate confectionery market was worth 238.5 billion US dollars. And the highest consumption of chocolate per capita um, annually is 8.8 .8 kilos. And I want you to guess what country it is. I'm going to give you a moment to think about it because you're not going to guess it. Um, it's Switzerland. So individuals in Switzerland, on average, consume 8.8 .8 kilograms of chocolate every year, which is crazy. Um, and not far off from them is Germany, 
followed by Ireland and the UK. Just to put this into perspective, 8.8 kilograms is like the size of a small toddler. Um, It's a lot of chocolate. So I guess all of this to say we eat a lot of chocolate and it is very loved, not just in Western society, but all over the world. So I guess I'll just dive into things and get into the real reason you're here, which is the debate about whether white chocolate is chocolate. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But actually, um, and some people might be mad, but here are the facts. Okay. Remember when I talked about cocoa liquor? Okay. Remember, it's like the base of the chocolate bar. The chocolate color of the bar that you buy it's proportional to the amount of cocoa liquor that there is in the bar. So for instance, dark chocolate has a lot of cocoa liquor and very few add-ins, and it is very dark. A lighter milk chocolate has a lesser proportion of cocoa liquor and more add-ins like milk and sugar. The thing about white chocolate is that it doesn't have any cocoa liquor in it at all. So remember when I said They can further process cocoa liquor to extract just the cocoa butter for like other products. Well, white chocolate is literally just made up of milk and cocoa butter. So if we're looking on the spectrum of chocolates, the darker chocolates are like blood relatives. The white chocolate is like adopted. That being said, family is family, no matter where you find it. And all chocolate is delicious. So let's put this debate to rest. (laughs) And back into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Before I dive into these health benefits, I just want to say something, which is that when I was reading all these articles about these health benefits of chocolate, trying to like tout it as a health food, it just made me think like, why are we trying to justify eating chocolate? Like, is there, there, in my opinion, there's nothing wrong with just eating some chocolate sometimes. And you don't ever have to justify the food that you decide to put into your body. You can put whatever you want into your body. Well, that sounded bad. You can eat whatever you want without justification. That is totally up to you. And honestly, sometimes the vibes, they are chocolate. So just eat the chocolate and move on. You don't have to feel guilty or justify or come up with some elaborate reason why you're eating what you're eating. But let's move onward. I'm going to list out these health benefits that I read about. I'll tell you the science behind them. And then I'm going to give you my take on all of this. So one of the main things that came up in a lot of these articles is that somehow chocolate increases your heart health. So cocoa has antioxidants in it. And antioxidants have been shown to lower blood pressure, reduce the risk of blood clots, and increase blood circulation to your heart. So in turn, this would lower stroke risk and also heart disease risk. Another two that came up um, are from these compounds called flavanols. So the first, the first health benefit would be that it balances your immune system because flavanols prevent the immune system from going into overdrive. Um, they reduce oxidative stress um, and which oxidative stress, sorry, sometimes I forget that I'm just talking to people who don't know what I'm talking about. Um, oxidative stress is um, when your cells fight against these things. They're called free radicals in your body. Um, and it can cause disease. Um, so flavanols basically prevent um, your body from going into overdrive. They reduce this stress on your body. 
The other claim is that flavanols improve your brain function. Um, and so this would include things like a better reaction time, um, visual spatial awareness, and stronger memory. Um, research in this area is a little bit so-so. Um, and yeah, so I'm, I'm not going to say much more on that. I guess kind of the reason that they think that this is the case is because flavanols like increase blood flow to your brain. Then there's what we call the epicatechins. I'll be honest, I had to Google these. Um, but basically, the claims are that they would combat diabetes because epicatechins protect cells, make them stronger, and basically help the body use insulin better. Um, and then the other claim is that it would boost athletic performance. Um, and so basically, they increase the production of nitric oxide in the blood, which helps with circulation reduces the amount of oxygen that the athlete is using while they're doing their like intense exercise. And it also allows them to um, like work out at a higher intensity for longer. This one kind of made me laugh because it reminded me that one time my mom, so my mom figure skates and she competes sometimes. And I remember one time she came to me and was like, Lucy, I'm really like nervous and I'm stressed and I can't eat anything and I don't have any energy and what do I do? And I was like, honestly, mom, like just have like a little a little snack right before you get on the ice of just like something nice and sweet and comforting um, just to get a little boost of sugar because that's what you're going to use anyways. And so she had like a little piece of chocolate and was like, this is the best I've ever skated. So anyway, that kind of made me laugh. The last claim is um, that dark chocolate reduces stress. Um, this is interesting and I hope that it's real. I think it is. Um, but basically there was like this study um, where they were looking at like dark chocolate and the impact on this hormone cortisol, which is like the stress hormone. And they found that people who ate dark chocolate felt less stressed or reported that they felt less stressed. Um, and then the researchers basically confirmed that by checking their um, cortisol levels, which were lower. So again, this could be due to a lot of different factors, but one kind of going theory is that it's related to the, um, the effects on heart health um, because stress is a risk, a risk factor for cardiovascular disease. So as fine and dandy as these benefits all sound from eating dark chocolate, I guess I still have a million questions and I think that more research needs to be done because this is all terrific. However, we don't really know anything about like the dosage, the frequency, um, the benefit for which target population. I don't know. Like there's a lot that we still don't know. So I would never go out and recommend for someone to eat dark chocolate for these benefits, I guess. I also wanted to read you a passage from this research article that I read um, where they kind of summarized a lot of, it was like a systematic review. Um, and so they said this, in general, this review invites the question, is dark chocolate legitimately considered a health food? The weight of evidence reviewed here would seem to support a qualified yes. The qualification relates both to what is known and what is not. What is known is that chocolate, unlike spinach, carries with it the liabilities of processing, added ingredients, notably sugar, and energy density. 
So what that is saying is that it does carry all of like the benefits that you would get from eating a food that's like antioxidant rich, has flavanols in it, has those epicatechins in it. However, with that, you also have the balance of the processing and the added ingredients like sugar and calories being very energy dense. And so that's where the, the comparison kind of ends. So I guess from my perspective, this is where it's really up to you. You have to weigh the benefit of eating chocolate against the theoretical risk of all of the stuff that comes with having those added things. I'm not sure if that made sense. I have another quote in here that might make it better for you (laughs) to understand. They said, thus, the benefits of chocolate consumption must be weighed against the at least theoretical risk of weight gain. Little actual evidence of that harm exists, however, at least for dark chocolate per se. So really, it's it's a cost-benefit analysis. You have to weigh the benefit of the chocolate consumption against the, the, the theoretical risk that comes with eating chocolate that has sugar and additional calories. That being said, there are a lot of benefits, such as reducing stress, that is very hard to do research for. So um, benefits like joy and community and companionship, romance, pleasure. Those are things that are a lot harder to measure when we're eating a food that we really enjoy. So again, you have to also take that into account. And it would not be a dietitian episode if I didn't drone on and on about the cultural impact of things. So let's talk about that. First of all, I want to invite you to reflect on your relationship with chocolate. So I'm going to pause for a moment and I want you to think about chocolate and how you see it in your life. So you may have thought a few things. Number one, you love chocolate and you eat it in moderation. So you have no issues with chocolate. Number two, you don't like chocolate and you don't really eat it. So also no issues. Number three, and I would hazard a guess that this is the most popular, you love chocolate, but you try your very best not to eat it for fear of a binge. Chocolate, for many of us, is highly valued for lots of reasons. Obviously, it tastes good, it's sweet and decadent, and it's used in lots of different desserts. But my theory is that it's highly valued due to the fact that, I guess number one, we deprive ourselves of chocolate because we have black and white attitudes about food. So we think that all chocolate is bad. When the reality is that, much like everything else, chocolate is fine in moderation. Number two, and related to this moderation piece, many feel like they can't eat chocolate in moderation because they lack self-control or they can't resist a binge. But my question is this, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Or should I say, the avoidance of chocolate or the lack of self-control around chocolate? The way I see it, this is a cycle. You don't ever buy chocolate for fear that, gasp, you'll eat it. So you restrict and restrict and restrict, but then it's Christmas or Easter or a birthday or Halloween and chocolate is available everywhere 
and you chomp down on it uncontrollably because its value is so incredibly high. Remember, food is like a currency. When there is so little of it available, it has higher value. And when it's always readily available, it decreases in value. So I sort of touched on this in my last episode, but something about food is that when you limit your exposure to foods, they become so valued. There's so much moral value associated with them and you kind of put them on a pedestal. But I would challenge you to question this and get curious about your eating habits. And I know that I'm kind of like asking a lot of you because these are so deeply ingrained in us, these beliefs about foods being bad and good. The thing is, I think we need to move away from moralizing food. Food has no moral value. It is just food. Chocolate is just food. It is only hurting you not having access to food. If you find that when chocolate is available, you cannot resist and you need to eat it in excess, I would argue that that is because you don't expose yourself enough to it. The more that you expose yourself to a food, the less value it has and the more boring it becomes. I've always found with myself, with my family, with my patients, when people keep their like quote trigger foods in their house for long enough, they stop having any meaning. All of a sudden they're just food and they're just available and you're not worried about when the next time is that you're going to have access to them because you have them all the time, always available. And eventually that moral value will go away, but a lot of people find it difficult to put these beliefs behind. And the thing about this approach to eating is that you need to you need to buy into it. It requires commitment to the bit. You have to give yourself that opportunity. You probably will binge on it for at first when you're getting used to having it available again, but over time that will wear down. So that is basically all I have for you today. Um, and my mom told me that my last episode was dark, so she suggested that I include a fun segment at the end to cheer people up after ruining their moods, and I am paraphrasing, so don't get mad at me, mom, um, but her idea was to have, like, a segment at the end where I share, like, a snack idea or a recipe, which isn't super amenable to this, like, podcast format, but I have a good idea for today, so I'm gonna share it. So, since today's episode is about chocolate, I did see something fun on TikTok. Um, But basically, you cook down berries, um, but you can mash them until they're kind of in the consistency of like a compote and cook them down and then put them on like a cookie sheet with parchment paper into like little discs and freeze them and then dip them in melted chocolate then you can just let them set. And then when you eat them, it's like this little chocolate berry surprise. So they make a really nice snack or a little sweet treat. And if you want to make it balanced, you can pair it with some Greek yogurt or cottage cheese, which might be a strange snack (laughs) or another source of protein. Anyway, that's all I have for you today. Make sure you follow me on Instagram or Facebook at Dietish with Lucy. You can also send me an email to dietishwithlucy at gmail.com with any burning questions that you have about food and nutrition. I hope you have a splendid day. 
I know it's Monday, but you can do it. You can get through this. And you will hear from me in two weeks' time. Bye! Bye!